0: Surveys are showing that there is a, a rising trend among people in North America. Particularly, this trend is among younger generations. It is the rising of what has been called the nuns. And I don't mean by that the uh, women who wear habits and live in convents, but people who, when the question is asked, what's your religious connection? Their answer is, "I have none." and there is a rising trend of that of, of seeing more and more people claiming themselves to be a nun. but there is a in my mind perhaps a more more troubling trend that we see among people, and these are people who Don't say, I have no connection to anything religious. But people who say, I love Jesus, but not the church. These are people who say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I just don't want to be a part of any kind of of religious institution. I I I want to be a disciple of Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do really with other disciples of Jesus. I've come to the place where I realize it's just me and Jesus, and that's good enough. And I've been thinking a lot about this, particularly as we come to this day, which is Pentecost Sunday. And it may not mean much to you, but it is rooted, it's actually rooted in a Jewish festival. We read about it this morning from Deuteronomy, where it's the bringing in of the harvest. And then the word Pentecost has a connection to 50 days. And so it was often looked at 50 days from Passover to the the, uh, harvest. And it was a huge celebration. It was one of the three great festivals of the Jewish faith. And people would come to, often to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate. And the reason it's important to the church is because it is on that Pentecost Sunday, when many pilgrims are in Jerusalem, that Acts 2 tells us the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples in miraculous ways, and it is the birth of the church. And so the church traces its roots back to the day of Pentecost, And so this day in the church calendar is a day of remembering the coming of the Holy Spirit miraculously and the beginning of the church. And of all the days of the year, it's a day we think about the church. And when you think about what that there are growing numbers of people who say, I love Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church, it ought to concern us. I've been wondering and asking myself, why? Why is this trend rising? Why is it becoming more and more popular for people to say, I love Jesus but not the church? And and I think part of it may be that we've so bought into an independent perspective of life, much less faith, that we don't really think we need other people. And that particularly, I, I don't want anyone else telling me how to live, what to do, what's right, what's wrong. It's, I, I, it's just me and Jesus. And quite frankly, that's the church's fault in many ways because we have in subtle ways and overt ways at times said to people, yeah, you, the church is good and it's important, but, you know, make your choices. And we've downplayed the, the significance of the church in people's lives. I think there, I think some people don't really want to connect with the church because, quite frankly, they are disappointed with the church. I hear it often, people who say, I don't, you know, I love Jesus, I don't want to be part of the church, because the church doesn't seem that much different from everybody else. And maybe that's true. It, it, and I think that whole idea is rooted in what people see in the church, what they would say is hypocrisy, people saying one thing, doing another, And here's the honest truth, you're dealing with a room, a a group of people. And when you deal with people, you're going to to find imperfections, and you're going to find struggles, and you're going to find people who fall short of our goals. And rather than acting like we don't, we we need to embrace the reality of that even more. But I also think in, in, in the scope of that, some people get frustrated, discouraged with the church because they see the church in conflict. And they, and they watch this conflict and they watch people grow in conflict and, and people grasping for power and grasping for recognition and our definitions of success. and it, And it all gets wrapped up in the sense of conflict. And quite frankly, the conflict is discouraging and sometimes surprising. But the reality is, it really shouldn't surprise us because we're dealing with human beings. And we are not the first generation to deal with conflict. Just pick up the book of Acts in the New Testament, the story of the church, and you see conflict. Think about the letters that particularly Paul writes to churches. All of them basically are addressing conflict. All of them are addressing problems in the church. It has been going on since Pentecost, the birth of the church, It was going on long before that as well, but it's going on since that time because it's human beings. And as I think about the conflict in the church, one of the places that I think we tend to have conflict and we find it difficult to deal with the conflict is when we start talking about gifts and ministries. And that's at the heart of a lot of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church, he tells us in chapter 1, is in division. They're divided. They're divided about who they're following. They're divided about what's important, what's not important. They're divided about what it means to be successful. They're divided about all kinds of things, even things like worship and the sacraments. They're divided about. When we get to chapter 12 and Paul starts talking about gifts, we see they're divided here too. There is something about Gifts, something about ministries in the church that cause divisions because we get so passionate about them. And we should be passionate about them. But sometimes our passion translates into what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing. It is something I read about years ago, uh, what a gentleman pastor called ergocentricity. He talked about the fact that egocentric people basically say i'm more important than you are, and ethnocentric people say My culture is more important than yours ergocentric people say what i'm doing my work is more important than what you're doing and your work and sometimes that is one of the one of the points of conflict and points of difficulty in the church, we get so passionate about what we're doing, we get so passionate about the calling that we feel from God and the gifts that God's given us and we want to use them and we want to see great things happen. And, and we should feel that way, That, but we can get to the point where we are thinking what I'm doing is more important than what anyone else is doing. It's not that what they're doing is unimportant, it's just less important. And you can see how the conflict arises. And that's why Paul begins chapter 12 by saying, I don't want you, I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts. I want to talk to you about the way you use your gifts and the ministries you're involved with. I don't want you to be uninformed. But what intrigues me is that the very next thing he says is, talk, is to talk to them about how they used to be pagans and they used to worship idols. And that now the spirit has filled them and because of the spirit in them, they cry out, Jesus is Lord. I read that and I'm thinking, what does that have to do one with the other? Because you go back to verse 4 and he goes back to spiritual gifts again. What is it? What's his point for interjecting into this passage, this talk about cursing Jesus and saying Jesus is Lord? And I can't help but believe it's connected to how we think about, how we use spiritual gifts. And it makes me wonder if Paul's point isn't this. That the intent of spiritual gifts, the intent of our ministries, is to declare that Jesus is Lord. And maybe, maybe, when we get self-absorbed about our gifts and our ministries, maybe we are actually subtly saying, Jesus really isn't Lord. For us to declare that Jesus is Lord is to say that nothing's more important than Jesus is. My gifts are not more important than Jesus. My ministry is not more important than Jesus. Nothing in my life, nothing that I do, however much I want to accomplish for the kingdom, is not more important than Jesus is. He alone is Lord. And in verse 7, he talks about how we. What we do for the kingdom creates a spirit of common good. And it strikes me that maybe to declare Jesus as Lord is to have a mindset that what we want for other people is more important even than what we want for ourselves. That the gifts we use and the ministries we are involved in, they're all about the common good as opposed to how can I get recognition How can I be successful? But rather, how can I minister to other people? How can I help other people experience Jesus as I've experienced Jesus? How can my gifts and my ministries lead people to a life of flourishing as God created us to experience? But here's what I think. The only way our gifts and our ministries are going to declare that Jesus is Lord is if we approach them and we do them in a spirit of willful, sacrificial submission. When Paul gets to the end of chapter 31, he's talked about gifts all the rest of the way, and we didn't read all of it. He talks about gifts. He talks about gifts being like the body and, and how the different parts of the body. And he gets to the end of it, and he talks about, gets, sort of reiterates the gifts one more time. And he gets to verse 31, and he says, Now let me show you a way of life that is going to accomplish this. And then he begins verse 13 by saying, if I can do amazing things with my gifts, but I don't love, it's worthless. If I even give up my own body, but I don't love, it means nothing. It is only in the spirit of love, the spirit of sacrifice, the spirit of submission that all that we are doing and all the gifts that we've been given, only in that spirit will we truly declare to people Jesus is Lord. Because every other mindset is going to subtly say, well, Jesus is Lord sort of. But what I want is really more important. Being recognized is more important be success being successful is more important. making sure everybody understands that my gifts and my ministries are most important and until we have that mindset of love, that mindset of wanting wanting Jesus to be proclaimed more than anything else, we are missing it. Years ago, I remember hearing one of my spiritual heroes, Dennis Kinlaw, tell about taking uh, becoming the pastor of this first church out in Loudonville, New York, around the Albany area. And things were going well. And, and if you ever had the chance to hear him preach, you know he's a great preacher. And as things were progressing and he'd been there a few years, he began to have trouble with his voice. And it kept getting worse no matter what he did. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I'm not sure what's happening, but this is serious. And he said, I, I, I began praying. He said, I was praying about it, and I, I said, Lord, you've got to heal my voice. I mean, you've called me to preach. You've got to heal my voice. And he said, I, one day I said to God, look, you've got to heal me because preaching is my life he said, it was as if I almost heard an audible voice of God saying to me, oh, really? I I thought I was your life. And he said, you know, I, I realized in that moment that preaching was more important than Jesus. And I had to think about that differently. And he said, when I began to understand that and God began to change my heart, he said, all of a sudden my voice got better. It's so subtle. It's so difficult to see because we're doing good things. We're using gifts that the Spirit has given us. We're we're practicing ministries that God has called us to. But without the spirit of Christ, without the spirit of love, without a willingness to be to sacrifice it all, we've missed it. And so if God comes to us and says, look, this ministry you're doing is really going well and it's working and, and great things are happening. But what if I say to you, I want you to give that up? Would you be willing to do it? If God says, look, this, you know, you, you're, this is being successful, people are seeing that, they're, they're getting it, and great things are happening, are you, and I say to you, look, I want you to take a different kind of role that's behind the scenes that no one hardly ever sees or thinks about, are you willing to do it? And that's the call of the gospel when we think about gifts, when we think about ministries. And what's fascinating is that really when you begin to to embrace this perspective, I think what ends up happening is we become much more grateful for the gifts and the ministries that we're able to do. Because we're not seeing it as ours, we're seeing it as God's. And, and we begin to realize that, that anything good that's happened is not because of us, it's because of him. And it creates a spirit of gratitude. And in that spirit of gratitude, we start noticing what other pe- all the things that other people are doing, not just what we're doing. And we start giving thanks, not just for the gifts we have, but the gifts that other people have. And not just the ministries that we do, but the ministries that other people do. And that's what Paul is talking about when he, in the rest of this chapter when he compares the, the church and gifts to the body. And he talks about all the, the, the things in the body that we take for granted and we just ignore. They're important. And instead of judging gifts by success or judging gifts by how many people are influenced or how much recognition we're getting, we judge our gifts and our ministry By one question, are we faithful? Are we faithful? And it's in the spirit of faithfulness that people begin to see Jesus in our gifts and in our ministries. Which is the whole point anyway. It's all about the Holy Spirit working in us Paul Paul talks here again ten times in these few verses he talks about the spirit five times he uses the word same verses four to six he he says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same spirit there are different kinds of ministries but the same God there are different ways in do about doing the ministry but the same God does all of it. It's about him. And we become the church that God has called us to be, doing the ministry of the church and serving one another when we recognize that ultimately it is about surrendering to the Holy Spirit and wanting Jesus to be declared as Lord more than anything else. And sometimes it will mean putting the gifts, some of our gifts on the back burner for a while. Sometimes it will mean putting our ministries off to the side for a while. Sometimes it will mean moving forward and and, and doing something new. And sometimes it will mean doing the same thing that we've always done. It's just simply being open to the Spirit. However, the Spirit moves us and leads us. When I was graduating from high school, my parents, uh, who were pastors of the church, felt a call to missions. And so, as I was graduating, I resigned the church and, and joined a mission organization. And, and so, out of the course of that, they were asked by the mission to unexpectedly move to Oregon and to operate, run the regional office there. And the, the the role was to help other churches, help churches in the Northwest, engage in missions, to support missionaries, to become interested in missions. And so their, their lives took on a whole new role. And so we all up and moved to Oregon. It was an interesting time, particularly for my dad, because his life changed dramatically. When he was a pastor of the church, there were a lot of things happening. He was at the center of virtually everything going on in the church. When there was a crisis... He was the one they called. When there was a celebration, he was often the one officiating. He was preaching in front of the congregation. He knew this congregation. He there were just so many things about it where he was using his gifts and he was involved in everything that was happening and watching it. And now with this new assignment in Oregon, all of that was gone. He wasn't the pastor of a church anymore. He was he was in a different church every week. And it was a struggle sometimes to convince churches that that what God was doing in places of the world was important. And no one called him when there was a crisis. He wasn't asked to be the, the to officiate at celebrations. He became, in many ways, very invisible. And and it was a difficult transition, as you might well imagine. After five and a half years, they felt a call to the Philippines, and they spent the next 18 years working in the Philippines, and, and, and he would say those five and a half years were so instrumental to getting them ready to go to the Philippines. But I often wonder if there wasn't something else going on as well. Because during, those, during that time in Oregon, it was transformational for my younger sister and me. We were, we were struggling with life direction and, and just sort of what was happening with our lives and what God was, was saying to us. And, and, but in the move to Oregon, we encountered some things that we wouldn't have encountered other places that dramatically changed our lives. I am quite certain that that move was one of the most foundational things that God did for me to be here today. And I am grateful. And my sister is grateful to my father. For being willing to step back for a while. As hard as that was. And to, to use that experience. God to use that experience. To not only work in him. But to work in us. It's hard to know what the gifts and the ministries were involved in how God's going to use those. But I am convinced that God is at work and He wants to do more than we could dream or imagine if we will let Him. If we will come to the gifts and the ministries that we do with the Spirit of Christ, with the Spirit of Sacrifice and submission and surrender and love. And to be channels and vessels of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in us and in others. Father, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for the ministries that you call us to. Today, we want to give them all to you. We do this in the name of Christ. Amen.